Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, and those fine people at Dive Bomb have given you a promo code, saving 10%. What is it, Jeff? Trump 2020. Trump 2020. You put that in at checkout, and you save yourself 10% off of the best silhouettes in the market, and not too distant future, I hear some floaters are coming out. So... You know, if you're a pigeon hunter, they got pigeon. Yeah, they got pigeon silhouettes out right now, and uh, later this summer they will be introducing their floater line. So go to divebombindustries.com, get everything that you need silhouette wise. Use the promo code Trump2020, and then come back later in the summer buy those floaters. Use the promo code again. This show is also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells, direct to your door. Bismuth is back in style. Just takes one. Just takes one. You're not having, you know, if you're a good shot like I am, one shot, <laughs> killed, dead, no more uh, running after cripples and all that other fun stuff. Stone Cold killing them dead is what it is with one shot. And that's it. BossShotShells.com. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. Spinners are a necessity if you are a duck hunter. Lucky Duck has spinners. If you're a predator hunter, they've also got you covered there. Uh, turkey season just wrapped up, but hey never too early to buy your uh your next turkey decoy so go to luckyduck.com and you can get those spinners for this next coming season they've also got pigeon spinners so i guess everybody's shooting pigeon spinners will be awesome for the dove for the dove eh for the du- pigeon spinners will be same shooting the do- over the doves Ooh, look at there multi-purpose so go to luckyduck.com they've got all of your spinning wing decoy needs we're also brought to you by 737 duck calls the boys from Oklahoma make a mean duck call, a screamer. Get the old number one. It's a single read. I'm a single read kind of guy. I don't know about you, Jeff, but it's what I like. The old number one. Made in America, made in Oklahoma, shipped directly to your door. No big box stores to compete driving up those prices. It's a rock bottom price. Seven thirty seven. Made by great guys, great duck call, great product. Look them up. Get your duck call. Get your lanyard full of 737s. And this show is also brought to you by Athlon Optics, also a U.S. made. Athlon Optics is a proud U.S. sports optic product company devoted to designing and delivering superior quality optic products and outdoor accessories at a competitive price to you, the consumer. Athlon has strong engineering design capability, strategic alliances with quality manufacturers, and a streamlined, fully integrated supply chain. Whether you're shooting prairie dogs or scouting those geese or ducks the night before, Athlon Optics has a product that you need. So go to athlonoptics.com, get your binoculars, get your scopes. They've also got red dot sights. They got it all. If you need to look through it so you can shoot something or find something, Athlon Optics is the way to go. We're also brought to you by Sea Light LEDs. Light up the world. Great for bow fishing, great for hunting, great for just yard. Uh, in your pickup, you need some lights, uh, off-roading, four-wheeling, whatever it is, C-Light LEDs, the best C-Light, the C- best C-Lights out there, or the best lights out there. Best LED lights out best there. Best LED. It's, two, it's 2019. There's no sense in running around in the dark. Technology's too good. They've got it figured out. Competitive price, C-Light LEDs is the way to go. That way you're not fiddling around in the dark. Also, we're brought to you by William and Chris Wines, Texas wine at its finest. Chris is a good friend of ours, great client, also figured out how to make a hell of a wine. He's truly living the dream. He, he loves what he does, drinks wine every day, almost like uh, if, you're a wine, if you're a wine enthusiast and you get to make wine and do that every day, probably like being a hunter and getting to hunt every day. Williamandchriswines.com, they'll also ship it to your door. It's summertime. Summertime, it's wine drinking time, people. Yes, it is. Finally, last but not least, we are brought to you by Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. You can take this one, Jeff. Um, holler at us if you're looking for a corporate dove hunt. Weekdays about all I've got left. i got some weekends left October. Stanfieldhunting.com. We can take care of you on dove hunt. Got teal season. We're going to have a lot of teal this year. Yes. Got weekday teal hunts available. You got four guys want to come up and do an inexpensive duck hunt in the morning. Shoot some teal in September. We can do a lodging breakfast and a morning teal hunt. That's stanfieldhunting.com. Call me for details at 940-658-3172. Boom. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Tony Vandemore. Everybody knows who Tony Vandemore is. He is the most iconic waterfowl hunter in North America right now. 
He's the he's a guy at Habitat Flats. He's a super good guy. We talk about the flooding that's going on all through the Midwest, really all through the middle part of the country. Uh, this is a great podcast. He, he's a, he's such a, a fun guy to talk to. He really is passionate about waterfowl hunting, and not only waterfowl hunting, but all of the steps that it takes to have a quality hunt. So uh, really, really enjoy talking to him. And here he is, Tony Vandemore. Here we go. Three, two, one. Boom. And welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. Got a treat for you today from the, uh, seems like the swampy state of Missouri now, Mr. Tony Vandemore. How are you, Tony? Well, I'm pretty good. A little bit tired. We've been trying to build an ark for the last two months. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, it's a weird spring slash summer. We've got more thunderstorms building up west of us right now that look, and we never have rain this time in june yeah it's i mean it's it's everywhere it's certainly not isolated to, to down there or, or up here i mean it's kansas oklahoma arkansas illinois ohio indiana i mean it's, it, it's everywhere it's unbelievable how much rain have you had in the last two months where you're at man that's, that's a good question i've got my my stuff written down but i haven't totaled it up i know well i Thanks for example, I started replanting a little corn and some other crops on Thursday and Friday last week. Um, we caught a little dry spell and was able to get the field. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't right by any means, but it went in okay. And then weren't calling for anything to speak of. A tenth or two, we ended up with three inches of rain between Saturday night and Sunday night. Mm. Yeah, then last night we were calling for two tenths and what two and a half, four inches so. That that's how it has been here. We we'll have a ten or twenty percent chance of rain, like you said, only calling for a tenth of an inch or so, and then uh, you look up and you've got three inches over two days, and you're thinking, "What the hell?" Yeah, there's no happy medium this year. You don't get a half inch soaker. I mean, if you're under one of these suckers and they come through, you're going to get pounded. Well, I tell you what, it's a hell of a hatch of mosquitoes this year. Yeah, <laughs> they they've got some awesome habitat. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, are you guys up there? Are y'all starting to be able to get crops in the fields? How's that looking for the year? Um, in a in a few spots. Um, up here around our home lodge, um, you know, we we had to cut some levees. I mean, pretty much every levee up here around our home lodge was overtopped by a long, long ways. Um, and even some, you know, the, the great flood of '93 up here in the Midwest. Um, we we haven't seen water like this up here since since then, and that was supposed to be whatever a, a five hundred or thousand year flood. And yeah. here we are, twenty twenty six years later, dealing with the same thing. I mean, all the all the levees that broke in broke again, and and it was weird this time because we didn't have anything. I take that back. We had we had a couple of couple of breaks on one spot, but up in up in the north part of our properties in an area that that typically breaks. It didn't break at all up there. It just came up so fast that it, I mean, it, it overtook the whole levee at once and filled everything up with 40 foot of water faster than it, than it took to break the levee. So we had to go up there once it started, started, or started drying out a little bit and, uh, and cut those levees so that the water could get out faster. Otherwise, you got, you know, several hundred acres of water that's, 15, 20 foot deep, and it's all got to go out through, you know, a handful of 18 or 20 inch tubes. Right. It'd take all summer. Right. So, so how do you, so, how do you cut the levee? Take a, take a track hoe down them and basically you just break your own levee. I mean, you just start scooping it out and, and the water starts rolling through it and eventually cuts it on through. Is that heartbreaking to do? It's not heartbreaking to do it. Uh, that way because 
you know what you're doing is going to get water off the field ten times faster than than letting it run its course through the tubes. It's definitely more heartbreaking to see it going over oh, <laughs> or right. to see it break from from Mother Nature. It's just crazy. I mean, these these areas we may turn pumps on, you know, whatever in September and not turn them off till Christmas and just reach full pool, you know, where we want it. You know, Mother Nature can do it overnight and do a heck of a lot more, but it's it, it's more water than I've seen up here probably ever. I mean, for several, several miles. I mean, really, from up where we're at, it's from, from South Dakota to St. Louis. That whole Missouri River Basin is, is an absolute mess. So do you, you guys usually plant corn? What time do you all usually plant corn? Uh, I mean, any time it, it gets dry after snow season, but typically we're waiting until the end of April, uh, on through, on through the middle of June. So you're, you're, you're behind, but you're not just completely way, way behind then. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's way behind. I mean, typically the, you know, the June stuff we're planting is in, you know, WRPs, you know, wetland reserve program stuff where you're allowed to plant 5% in the food plot. And those areas typically... You know, they take forever to dry out and that sort of stuff. <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, you're done with you're done with everything. I mean, your corn you plant first, and then we're coming back in and planting beans. And most of the time, you're done. You're done by mid mid to end of May, depending on how Mother Nature is. And this year, I mean, there's going to be a ton of ton of prevent plant. I mean, we're you know, yes, we we farm quite a bit of ground as well, but you know, all of our our friends that make a living farming, I mean, they're they're not they're not able to get anything. What's what what, what would be the last thing that somebody could plant up there? Beans. Well, I mean, you can you can always come back in and, and plant uh, buckwheat and millet. Um, you know, you can get buckwheat to mature in forty five days. You know, millet says sixty. It'll put a head on quicker than that. Um, but really. I mean that's kind of the the last ditch effort, and and I'll definitely do some of that um, in some of our wetlands. But the other benefit to a year like this is our natural food sources are going berserk. Yeah. Um, once the water from once the water comes off, I mean this is perfect for moist soil plants. I mean the natural millet, the smart weed, uh, the panicum, the sedges, all that stuff is going to have a bumper crop this year. The teal should and be just really insane. Don't have to do a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, early teal season should be really good. You yeah, it, it should. We we see that uh, typical on on years when there's a lot of water, especially along the Missouri River. Um, it seems like teal season is typically pretty good. Well, just the natural food that that's already out there for them, I think will be. Really yeah, good. absolutely. There's gonna be a lot of holes that you know um, that are full now that that people are normally. You know, in dry years, they're they're dry. You know, they don't have a well or, or a, a pump in a creek or a, a way to put water on those places. And all those places now are going to have water. Um, the ones that keep it all year, you know, they may not have the best food sources, but they're going to be full of invertebrates and bugs uh, just by having the water through this hot time of summer. It might not have perfect seeds, uh, you know, plant food, but it's going to have often, often invertebrates and bugs. You know, there'll be plenty of Plenty of early season habitat for them. Now, I saw on your Instagram that one of your duck blinds uh, washed away. How long had that been? How long had that particular uh, pond or whatever been running with water? Yeah, I'm trying to think. We, I think we built that blind three or four years ago. Um, it's it's an area that's got got some flooded fields on one side of it, and the refuse is kind of on the other side. And there's a strip of timber that lays along the flood protection levee. And um, we got a neat little timber hole in there, one of, one of my favorite spots. I mean, it's not always the best spot, but, man, it's it's as pretty a spot as we've got. And uh, the big protection levee gave way probably like, I don't know, 125 or 150 yards right in front of that blind. And all that that massive amount of flood water and pressure come right through that cut and basically... <laughs> It just it wreaked havoc on that timber. I mean, there was five, four, five, six foot tan dunes all throughout that timber. Uh, big trees got pushed through there, blown over, washed mm-hmm. out. It looks like a war zone. It's crazy. Yeah, I saw. Anybody looked, thinks 
it looked like somebody took a stick of dynamite and put it in that blind. Yeah, I mean, you 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 have a much better respect for the power of water after you you see what it can do. And you see a lot of people do some stupid things around water and on water, but then once you see what it can do, you tend to be a little bit more careful. <laughs> now, now, what about the grand? Has that has this put put production on uh, on the new lodge behind, or are you still full steam ahead? No problems there. <clears throat> Well, the the lodge itself is up. It's up on the bluff, kind of overlooking the fields and the refuge and everything. And they're they're kicking butt on it. I couldn't couldn't be happier. They're they're really rolling. But down there in that section of the Missouri River, that's one of the one of the few levee systems that that we held, and uh, it was pretty inspiring to see. Really, I mean, it's just you know it's farm farm country. I mean, it's just like where we're at up here, and. Uh, see all those local people come and, and volunteer time sandbagging and sandbags for, I don't know, maybe seven or eight days and businesses dropping off food. And, and it wasn't it wasn't unique to our area. I mean, it was all the way up and down the Missouri River. Um, the, only, the only, I guess, good thing, if there is such a good thing in this mess, is that, that we were able to hold that levee. Um, we still got a lot of seep water in there, you know, out through the crop field. Can't get anything planted yet, but uh, that levee didn't break. Um, pretty much, I mean, the grand majority of everything else up and down the river did. Yeah, but it, it was neat to, see, neat to see everybody come together like that, and it happened. I mean, all the way up and down the Missouri River. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of sandbags were placed along the Missouri River this year from South Dakota to St. Louis, but it's it's an incredible amount. I wonder what they do with all them sandbags. I always wondered about that. Somebody's got to go pick them up, I assume. Yeah, you have to go back in and pick them up, but uh, it's a little bit premature for that. <laughs> uh, the river, third Missouri River is still running running very high. Uh, I mean, there's still a ton of water to come out of up north. I mean, they've been getting rains, and they've had just that incredible snow melt coming off the winter. And, I mean, it's still running in up there, so... A little bit early to take them off just yet, but this year's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a lot like 1993, you know, it, it came up and you kind of fought it and battled it and all that, but it it didn't end up really getting bad back till July and then again in September. Mm-hmm. You're never, you're never out, of the, out of the woods when the river's high. You're always one big, big rain system away from everybody being right back to where you started. The, the amazing thing is, is that this flood impacted mostly people in the Midwest, the fa- f- farmers' yeah. rural areas. You didn't hear about any looting, any issues like that. And I think that's hats off to the people in those neighborhoods and those areas along the rivers and how they handled it. Yeah, you know, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, you don't hear about that stuff. You don't see it very much at all, if at all, on the national news and all that. I mean, these people lost lost their farms, lost their houses, their buildings, their barns, and all that. You don't, you don't really hear about it. I mean, they just, they're putting their nose down and, and going right back to work, and their neighbors are chipping in. And, I mean, it's a tragic, tragic deal. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres, if not millions of, of farmland and, and houses, grain and storage. Uh, just just tra- major, major tragedy, and, and you just don't hear about it. I mean, it's it's kind of a tribute to the folks of the Midwest, and, and really not just the Midwest, but the, the rural community. Yeah. The whole middle of the country flooded. Not one TV got stolen. Nope, not one. But yep, it, that's right. It, 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 it's a true testament to the to the Midwest uh, people. They just, you know, they just they pick up where they left off and put their nose down, like you said, and they do what has to be done. Workers' mentality. Yeah. He, he saw a set of headlights in the dark. He weren't thinking something was wrong, you were knowing that somebody else was coming to help throw sandbags or do something like that. Yeah. So so the grand is coming along nicely. Guys are still getting to they're still getting to work and all that other good stuff. So that's gotta yeah, be one relief. Everything's moving on that front. From the on the management front, you know, it's gonna be one of those years that that's gonna be a struggle, but I mean heck every year is when you're dealing with Mother Nature. I mean you lay it all out how you want it to go. You got your plan A and when you want to do that, and well, that gets washed out. So you go to Plan B, and this year we're going to be a long ways down the list when we really get, <laughs> get started. I mean, <laughs> but it's one of those deals. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, at, at the end of the day, 
you, you got to stand in front of the mirror and, and look at that person in the mirror and you better hope you're happy with, with what you're looking at. I mean, I'd, I'd rather get out there and try and, and see if you can make something happen than, than wonder if you could. Yeah. Now, this blind that, that washed away, how many people could fit in it? Um, that was a big one. That was, uh, it had nine holes. And, I mean, grand majority of the time, we don't, we don't fill it up, but it had room back in there where you could cook. And it was, what was it, 20, 24 feet long with two-foot dog boxes on each end. So 28 feet by 10 feet or 12 feet wide. How long will it take you to uh, to redo that? To build it again. Well, it's, I mean, it we can build it in the weekend, but it's more now at this point. Uh, I'm just getting a plan with with Corps of Engineers on on when the big the big breaks are going to get get repaired and, and how we're going to go about that. I mean, you know, there's a silver lining to everything, I guess. Um, you know, that place looks like it pretty much got destroyed. I mean, with the sand dunes and. Everything going through it and the blind and just the, I mean, the, the sheer amount of sand is incredible. But, you know, once you develop, they develop a, a plan to, to how they're going to get that fixed, you know, it's a, a federal, you know, it's a core levy. Mm-hmm. You know, there there might be something great come, come about. I mean, luckily that, that timber saved all that sand from blowing out into the, the ag field itself. But, so we're going to hopefully fix, fix that hole and, and, you know, maybe we'll get to make that timber even even prettier than we wanted to in the first place. Do uh, you got to look at? Go ahead. Kind of find the bright side on everything. Yeah. What What's the refuge up there? What are they looking like? Are they just underwater still, or? Yeah, it's. I mean, they 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 received extensive damage as well. Um, I mean, every hell, every levee system in the Midwest has received pretty extensive damage. Now it's just a matter of getting a period of time a dr- period of, of dry time long enough to get rid of water and, and let those moist soil plants get going um, there'll be plenty of plenty of good food it's just uh you know you got to get it dry enough to where that good food can get growing and then you know also dry enough to where you can start patching levees and repairing things uh you know flood years not not flood years but every every flood's hard on hard on you know your infrastructure. Um, they're all they're all expensive. There's usually not much good that comes from a flood. There's no. There's usually a. I mean, there's a perfect flood, and you might see one every three or four years where it, it got to just the right height to put a little water in some places where you needed it, but not high enough to to really hurt anything or to blow out any levees. But you know they're they're few and far between. Yeah. Most of the time, you get a flood, it's it's going to hurt something. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of work to do after it to clean up and, and repair things. So what does your typical day look like right now? It's kind of frustrating, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's a, a lot of emails and, uh, you know, going out and checking properties. It's just kind of like Groundhog Day. You know, what, what can I get to? Where can I go? What can I get done? I mean, it's just... I mean, being all all dressed up and no place to go. I've been that way since the end of snow dew season. You know, you're ready to itch and get on tractors and get some of this done and start on your on your management plans, but it's just been so stinking wet. There hasn't been a whole lot hasn't been a whole lot to do. I mean you might get a dry spell where you get going for a couple of days and then boom, here comes the next system and you're out for a week. Yeah. Pretty frustrating, but now, when will you, part of it. when will you head off to Saskatchewan? Um, it opens up there September first, so most of the, the the boys will be heading out last week August sometime twenty fifth, twenty sixth. When when I head up, I'm usually not up there till after our teal season, which you know around the twenty second of September it usually ends. Um, we'll see what it looks like. See what it looks like this year. There's gonna be a lot to do. A lot to still be done around here at that point. I'm sure. Mm. So uh, you might not be making it to Canada this year. Maybe not this year. Just have to see how it goes. There's going to have to be when it does get dry. There's going to be so much work to do in a short amount of time. It's going to be uh, 
it's going to make the last couple months of just looking for something to do look look pretty silly because it's going to be late some late ones. Yeah. So I want to switch gears here. You've got your your dog Kai. He goes uh, he goes to a trainer during the summer months, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. What when does he he, does. he, he goes as soon as uh, snow goose season is over, or when does he ship out? Yeah, typically. Typically, he'll go first of April or, you know, whenever we're done shooting snows. And, and he'll come back middle of August or so, right before teal season. Now, do um, they work with him every day? Yep. Yep. And getting pretty excited because I've got one of his pups coming here in the next couple, three weeks. One of one of Kai's you do? Yep. Yep. It'll be my fourth, fourth dog from that line. And I've kind of kept that line going on my old dog rough and really happy with that line i'm looking forward to looking forward to this new one i don't know if i'm looking forward to it more or my daughters are but <laughs> well, it'll be it'll be crazy again having a puppy around for a while so you had you had rough what's what's the line there how many you said there's four yep i had rough and then then junior and, and then kai and then this this next one that's coming <laughs> what bloodlines are they out of uh, Russ, Russ got a, a really, really strong pedigree, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. I know, I think the two that come to mind, Lean Mac and Honest Abe, and, I mean, two trial guys would obviously know much better than I would, but I know his pedigree's pretty darn good, which is what I've been told. It's got a lot of, a lot of titled dogs in it, which doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot to me. Yeah. Like, to, they, to me, they earn their titles in the field, but. Yeah. I mean, I just, and that's because I just don't have time to, to do it. I sure wish I did. It looks like a lot of fun. I've I've hunted uh, under uh, with a national field champion in my field, and I've hunted with lots of field champions, and I've hunted with J- Joe, the Rednecks dog, and sometimes Joe, the Rednecks dog, has a better dog than the field national field champion. I mean, in the field. Yeah. You know, he... Yep, they, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a difference between a, a good meat dog and a, a good field child dog. I mean, they can... I mean, a good field trial dog can be an absolutely unbelievable meat dog, but yes. not all of them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of robotic. I mean, they're incredible to watch. Yeah. Uh, when you got rough, were you looking for a good bloodline, or were you just kind of looking for a dog? No, I was looking for a good bloodline. And uh, kind of settled on, on him. And actually, uh, it was a kennel out of Wisconsin, and the lady that, that owned the kennel, also headed up the, the lab rescue program for Wisconsin at the time. And, and Ruff wasn't a rescue dog, or part of, but he was part of her breeding program with her own dogs. And, and, you know, I just looked around, and I felt pretty comfortable with her. And, you know, if she handled the rescue dogs, I, I thought that she, you know, knew a, a dog's mentality pretty well and had a had pretty good insight on, on what I was looking for. And for me, I wasn't necessarily looking for that field trial dog that's about, not necessarily, I shouldn't say field trial dog, that, that's kind of prejudiced, but <laughs> I, I wanted, I told her what I wanted a dog, that is one that is perfectly chill and quiet, and, you know, you never have to worry about until it's go time. When it's go time, I mean, I want them to have a light switch. Right. When they're in the field, I want them to be balls to the wall, and when they're at home, I want them to be, you know, hell, I never even Put them up. I mean, they just they, they sit on my patio. They don't run off. They don't whine. They don't bark. My girls crawl all over them, pull their ears, yank on their tails, start pulling their tongues out of their mouth. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I just like I like chill dogs, especially when I'm hunting. I don't like a dog that's sitting there whining and, and you know you hear them tap dancing out there on the stand all the time. I, mean, I like a, just a chill dog. I mean, one that's, that you don't know is there until you call his name to go. Yeah. Let me tell you, uh, I've got one of those that are ju- that's just a nightmare to be around. And if if I could have sent him off a couple days ago, I would have. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, th- this is the biggest debacle that I've ever had with my dog. His name is Lou. He's, he's six years old. And Andy's uh, wife does not like this dog. You put that in the story. He's quite a pervert. He likes to he likes to pull out underwear and all that stuff. So and and at Goose Camp, if, if there's no uh, women's underwear around, he will occasionally uh, lick Blake's underwear. Well, Blake doesn't wear underwear, so <laughs> you know he'll lick whatever underwear he can find if there's no women's panties laying around. But uh, so it's Father's Day weekend. It's Friday. Uh, my wife's parents are coming over. We're cooking for. Them and uh, 
I, I put Lou, we've got a laundry room that I put him in whenever we have guests coming over just because, you know, it's, it's better that way. So, you know, I felt kind of bad and I was, uh, I, we had some chicken in, in the fridge that my wife had cooked a week or so prior and, uh, I'm like, I'll give him a little bit of chicken. You know, he's got to go into solitary confinement. So I opened the bag, and it doesn't really pass the smell test, but it wasn't it wasn't terrible. I wouldn't eat it, but, you know, I'm like, you know, for a treat, I'll give it to him. So Saturday at 4.30 in the morning, I hear him whining, and he never whines in the house. I mean, he's other than the panty sniffing, he's a model citizen. So I'm, auto- I'm automatically thinking, like, somebody's – prowling around the house or whatever so i get up and my wife tells me she's like yeah he's been doing that for an hour now and it's really annoying and i'm like oh great so i walk in and i I open the doors to the living room and the stench hits me as soon as i open those doors and it, it is the uh unmistakable stench of dog shit and i'm looking around it's 4 30 in the morning i got this hardwood floor brown and and Finally, I make my way to the rug, and I see just a little bitty squirt, and I'm like, oh, that's not that bad. You know, I can clean that up. No big deal. So I get it all cleaned up. My wife's wondering what, you know, where I've been, and and then, uh, you know, I tell her what happened. I said, I guess that chicken made his stomach hurt, and there's a little bitty squirt on the rug. No big deal. But uh, I clean it up, and I walk back in, and I'm like, it still stinks really, really bad. And I get to investigating a little bit more, and there, I'm not kidding you, Tony, it looked like somebody spilled a chocolate milkshake. It is a it is a three feet long by a good foot wide of just liquid dog oh. dew, and it is the most vile and disgusting thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I go back to my wife and I'm like, "Ah, oh, do you have a good bath towel that I can get rid of that we can get rid of so that I can clean?" And it took up the whole bath towel, every bit of it. Oh. And in that moment, I was like, "You know what?" Tony Vandemore, he's he's on to something here sending his dog to a trainer because he he Tony Vandemore does not put up with this. So I, I mean, every dog owner's been there. Oh, it, it's terrible. But now that you're getting a puppy, uh what what's what's that gonna look like? Puppy comes home at, at eight weeks or, or or is it gonna go off to the trainer also for that initial yeah. Oh no, no. I've got I've got girls now. <laughs> we kept Scott. We kept Scott till he was six months, I think, before he went to the trainer. And, you know, it's fun having the puppy around and all that, but it's going to be challenging this year if I'm so busy, but, I mean, the girls are going to have an absolute riot. <clears throat> so what What do you do? Do you do, like, the like the little the little bumpers and stuff like that to, to get them excited, or do you not mess with anything? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get them out in the water, and, you know, you, you can start – the basic obedience, you sit and stay and, and all that stuff, you know, place training and, and really getting getting the good basic obedience stuff down, which is the foundation for everything that comes forward. Right. Um, but you can't really start force stretch or anything like that until they get their adult teeth. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not off money games, but. Right. There ain't nothing better than a, a cuter than a freaking eight to 16 week old lab puppy. More feet and stuff. <laughs> They're great. And I tell you what. They out. And and one thing I'm really impressed by you, Tony, is is your your love for your family and your daughters and the way you do that. And, I, and my hat's off to you because there's so many people that forget about their family and they get busy working and they don't make their kids a priority. And I want to thank you for that because we need more of that. You know, that's I mean that, that's all of our biggest priorities: hunting and everything like that, farming and all that work. I mean, that's that, that's all just fun. I mean, but what matters is at home. That's right. It sure is. So this uh, it, this puppy, have you got any names yet or not? Yeah, I think we're we're talking to you around. Uh, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say yet because it hasn't. I haven't been told what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> are the girls in on this uh, on this naming of the puppy, or are you keeping that oh, yeah. between you and your yeah. wife? I, mean, I think I've heard Daisy thrown out there, maybe Barbie, but we'll, we'll figure out what it's going to be. Is it a male or a female? <laughs> Oh, it's male. <laughs> yeah. And they want to name him Daisy? <laughs> well, they're girls, Jeff. Okay. Yeah. They don't know the difference. Uh, how did no, you... I'm, I'm how, sure we'll come up with something good. How'd you settle on the name Kai? That's not that's not a name that I hear of very often. No, actually, uh, Kai was, was my grandfather's nickname, who, hell, he taught me how to hunt with okay. him years and years and years. And when, uh, when we started having... 
having kids, my wife and I, uh, we had girls that, like, you know, she liked the, the big names. So our girls are Vivian and Victoria. Mm-hmm. She's like, Kai, even if, even if you have a boy, Kai just, just doesn't work. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to carry you're going to carry it around for nine months. You can definitely name it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to argue. And, uh, I wanted, wanted to name my dog after my grandfather and all the good times we had. Yeah. So, Kai, it was. Yeah. How, that, how did, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool deal. He he had a couple of duck clubs on the Illinois River when I was growing up. And he got diagnosed with cancer. Like, hell, I may have told you this last time we spoke. No. I think I was a sophomore in high school, and they, the doctor told me, you know, you got six months to live. He said, well, that's not going to work, Doc. I'm going to watch my grandson play professional baseball. I'm like, well, okay, well, you got six, you got six months. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, you know, you never know what the human body is capable of. I mean, the, the mind is capable of so much more than than the body. And uh, it was sophomore in high school, kept going on. He came to a bunch of games in college and all that. I got drafted as a fourth-year college senior in that first summer. And six six years later, he came out and watched me play. Wow. Phoenix and died like three weeks after. <laughs> That's crazy. So he he, he made yep. his promise. Yep, pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, Jeff's dad, Ron, he's the same way. Three years ago, leukemia, uh, told, uh, you know, get your affairs in order and beat that. And then lung cancer popped up, took out half of his lung, and was cancer-free. And now that they're saying the cancer's back now, but, uh, you know, we're, we're three or four years into, into the doctors saying, you know, hey, you better, you know. I call it bonus, bonus time. But uh, it, it, he, not, he's just the same you know, way. It, that's the mentality of life. I mean, it, it, it's so mental. I mean, your, your body can do a heck of a lot, but it, it's all mental. I mean, look at it. So that's, you know, we're talking about human life there, which is the most important thing ever, but not carry it over to what we're dealing with in the floods. I mean, you can look at it and be like, you know, it, it's a loss. You know, we just ain't no way we're going to be able to get this stuff done. And you can put your nose down and, and get your mind set on it, and you're going to make good things up. It's, it's all it's all mind. I mean, my life's so mental. Yeah, it really is. But And like you said, just, just like your grandfather, like, well, that's not going to work. And just each day, take each day one step at a time, and each day can be a good one or it can be a bad one. And you can decide pretty early on how it's going to be. Yep, absolutely. We've had absolutely. And we all got that decision when we wake up in the mornings. I've had I've been on my dad's last hunt three years, eighteen different times now. This might be dad's last hunt. Will we go hunt? And he told me he told me about three days ago. He said, "Well, I can't wait for goose season to get here. I'm gonna hunt a bunch more this year." I mean, I hope you do. You know, that's that's what yeah, it's yeah, about. But yeah, I mean, but like you know, like Jeff said, every year you're like, well, I, I can remember the last hunt this year. We were like, well, this is you know, good chance this is Ron, probably Ron's last hunt, and we had a banger of a hunt, and you know, you're all kind of sad at the end of it because it's over, and it was the end. It was the last day of duck season, so you're kind of sad about that. Now we are. We're hitting. We're looking at July, and before you know it, September one's going to be here, and uh, he's too stubborn. He's not going to die in the middle of hunting season, so. Uh, and talked about giving something to look forward to. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. So uh, um, pretty cool. We'll we'll switch gear. We'll get off of all the uh, all the sappy stuff. What uh, what are you thinking about this year's uh, uh, hatch and everything? Have you seen anything early? I mean, from what I've I've heard anyway, the Dakotas ought to be very very good, uh, very wet. I think a lot of Prairie Canada is is on the dry side. I don't. I haven't. I honestly haven't. Haven't heard enough to know if it's like bad dry or or just you know going to be an average or below average production up there. But I'm hoping that that the Dakotas are going to carry the carry the majority of the breeding success this year. And, and really, with all the water they had this spring, when the ducks were going back north, I would I would hope a lot of them stuck around. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen this winter? Do you think that there's going to be a lot of open fields in the Midwest and 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 from the Dakotas on down, or do you think that farmers are going to get late beans in? What do you think is going to happen there? There's going to be hundreds of thousands of acres of, of fields with nothing in them this year. Just bare, all up, 
Yeah, all up and down the Midwest. I mean, there might be like a cover crop, something like that, but it's not going to be corn and soybeans. Um, this will be a, an interesting year. Um, you know, some folks down south that have, that have been struggling with warm temperatures and all that, it'll be interesting to see what they do this year. I mean, I still think the the dry cornfields and the abundance of, of grain in those harvested fields, I mean, it obviously far outweighs you know, the, the food that's in a, in a flooded cornfield from an acreage standpoint. Right. I mean, there's, there's way less, say, flooded cornfields than there are dry harvested cornfields. And I bet, you know, the, the zillions of bushels of grain left out in all these harvested fields up and down the, the flyway uh, from here north, I mean, not having a lot of that, it, it'll be an interesting year. I think there's going to be a very good production of uh, most soil foods. Um, but that typically doesn't carry them through when it gets cold. It'll, it'll be interesting. Yeah. This this will be the year that uh, either completely, you know, the, the guys down south, they're either going to be very happy with uh, what they see or, you know, if the ducks don't show up again, you know, you got all these empty, you know, you got, you got all these empty fields now. What's there, what's going to be their excuse then? Yeah. I mean, if they, I mean, I can understand see places down south having a, having a bang up here. I mean, just with the loss of dry, the dry grain fields, there will still be some flooded corn. It ain't going to be much, but, but if, you know, the ducks pour south this year, it's not going to be a, you know, a, a light switch truck on like, oh, it's because there wasn't any flooded corn. But I mean, it's because there is so many zillions of acres of, of corn that's not in production, right. uh, dry and flooded. But to but them, they don't get there this but but to them, it's going that, that's going to be the smoking gun. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think if if the guys in Louisiana have a bang up year, I think that's that's going to be the smoking gun to them. Oh, looky here, they didn't have corn, and now the ducks are here. Doesn't matter, you know, it could be thirty below from Oklahoma City North, but it's it, that none of that's going to matter to them. No, and, and whatever. I mean. It, like I said last time, it, it is what it is. You, you're not going to get rid of dry harvest and cornfields. You're not going to get rid of, you're not going to get rid of grain. I mean, that's what, that's what farmers do. It's what this country's built on. But if they don't get south this year, it'd be a good time to start looking somewhere to move north. That's right. Yeah. If you want to kill a duck. If the, the, Our country runs on two things, corn and oil. Those are the biggest things we have going for. Our whole, our whole country is based on those things. And you ain't gonna, they're not going to gut out the corn, so they might as well get used to that. Um, you're, how, how are y'all, are, are you booked for the whole year for everything y'all do, Tony? Um, we've always got a few spots here and there we can fit guys in. So if somebody wants to come hunt with you, they can still. Yeah, yeah, we, we've always got, got places we can fit people in last minute. I mean, you know, not a lot, but, but there's always some. You get late cancellations, you know the game. Group fall park that, that you're planning on. You know, now it's July and you got a spot come up for six people or something like that. Have, have you ever had that guy that hunts with you for year after year after year and he always has a slam dunk and you think he's a, you know, guy, this guy's a hunter, he understands, and then you have a bad day and all of a sudden he's the biggest pouty baby you've ever been around in your life? Yeah, they can. I mean, I've had a couple of them. Uh, been pretty fortunate we haven't had a lot of it, but. I've seen a lot of them, a lot more on the snow goose side. We had a group one time that had never been snow goose hunting before, and they came out and, and hit it. I mean, as good as you can. Killed like a, a 170, a 150, and a 130. And it's like, whoa, you know, there's three three stellar days in a row. Came the, next, came the next year, and it was rough, and they killed like 30 and 40 and 25, and they said, uh, man, we're not coming back next year unless you talk good. Like, you understand what you talk. Jeez. <laughs> you usually got to hunt a while so we see 300 bird days in a row. <laughs> Yeah, that just they don't understand, and I think it's because a lot of the guys just live in an office, and they think that when they book something, it automatically means it's going to be a complete success, and they're not even seeing the side of the hunt, being with their friends, spending time in nature. They don't even see that part. It's all about just the results. Yeah, I mean, those guys be much better off 
looking at a high chance beer farm or something where where it's guaranteed and they get to see what they're going to shoot before they even shoot it. But you know, I think if guides and outfitters like we are, the grand majority of us, I mean, it hurts us probably more than it hurts clients if it's slow or something like that. I mean, sure, yeah, there's a few, few outfitters out there that, that don't necessarily hold up those standards, but as a whole, I think we all we all try to make sure it's the best possible experience we can give them based on the, the weather conditions we're built. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the worst sleep in the world is knowing the night before when you go to bed and everything is against you for that morning's hunt. No matter what you got, you got miles and miles and miles of land to hunt, and it's just going to be one of them mornings, and you know it, and that night, and you wake up and you do a hunt and you're nervous, nervous, and then sometimes it works and you're like, Whew, thank God that was I, that I was expecting a bad day, or those days when it is just a shitty day and there's nothing you can do about it. And I, I, yeah. you're right. I don't think the clients realize how hard an outfitter works and does everything he can to make sure because we don't. Nobody wants a bad hunt. Hell, we want to be done as quick as possible. Yeah, we always we always used to have been up a couple of years with girls. We always used to go to Rainy Lake smallmouth fishing uh last week or 10 days of may when they're pre-spawn and my dad and uncle and everybody still goes but i hadn't been for a couple of years but heck there might be three days that, that it blows so hard you don't even get out on the water you don't go ask the, the lodge owner for a refund I mean, it's, it, it's part of it but we you know we hear people wow this you know this is ridiculous came up all the way up here for this well i can promise you that the lodge owner up there wasn't making the making the wind blow 40 miles an hour to where there's six footers out there and you didn't want to rock fish in it. Right. This is part of it. And I tell you, <clears throat> I get more nervous uh, after I've had a good one. After I've had a good day hunting and I'm walking back to the pickup and I think, oh, no. I I got to duplicate this these results again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, I do. No doubt. <clears throat> You, you look at the weather and you see that big front coming mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be awesome. I mean, I'm I'm like a kid at Christmas still. I can't sleep the night before. Mm-hmm. I'm up looking at my phone, you know, oh, the wind's blowing, oh, yeah, man, God, this is going to be, oh, can't sleep, this is going to be phenomenal. And you get out there and the more you play it up in your head, the harder it is for that hunt to live up. I know. To stand. You know what I mean? Yeah. The hunts that are truly at the end of the year you're like holy crap that was incredible and typically those are the ones where you least expected it mm-hmm. yeah 100 because you because you get such a you know i know you're the same way like we don't get a whole lot of snow here and uh whenever the snow starts falling you know you start thinking oh my goodness you know, we primarily do goose hunts, and, and there's been a couple goose hunts where it's just a wide out, and, and that big group of lessers just kind of comes in quiet and, and just appears, and they're right at the end of the gun barrel. And then there's some snowy days where it's just snow. And yeah, that, they're fine. It's not too hard for them to get through. Yeah. So, but, you know, any time, but your mind as a waterfowl hunter, anytime you see snow or anything in the forecast, you're like, you automatically are assuming the best you're like oh yeah it's gonna be like this they're gonna be landing at our boot bag and then you 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 quickly uh you forget about all the 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 snowy days where you just got out there and got snow on you but i'm I'm the same way i'm the same way you get weather rolling in and i i get excited i'm Uh, sure you guys are the same way as me i mean you better as an outfitter you know if you want to look in the mirror you better sell it like it is i mean it's reality it's Fair chase is weather dependent. You're better off to undersell and over deliver than oversell and under deliver. Absolutely. Yeah, you got to be honest with people up front. It's been slow, and I mean, it's been slow. And if I call you and say, hey, let's move it back a couple of days or a week or two, you better move it back a week or two. Because I, I trust me, we'll hunt, but we, we're going to do a lot of hunting and maybe not much shooting. Yep. We've started a public land series. We talk to guys all over the country, do it yourselfers, you know guys that primarily hunt on public land and i gotta tell you they're some of the most we were talking about shooting a lot of birds and everything these guys are some of the most passionate waterfowl hunters because they might go out all day and only shoot five or six and i'm thinking where are these guys because you know we get the group that like you said shoots 25 or 30 birds and they're unhappy but then you talk to these other guys and they shoot six and they're they were just happy to be out of the house 
So I don't know where the disconnect is between uh, the guy that does it yourself because the client that might be griping about only shooting 20 or 30 birds also might be the guy that goes out next weekend on his own and shoots four. I just think a lot of the disconnect comes with not necessarily how you're brought up, but, but when you started hunting. I mean, did you start hunting when you were five years old and, and had to work for it and all that? Or, you know, did you come into it, you know, after you had a, a good job and was successful and, and had the means to, to go with your buddies on a trip? I mean, either way, right. it's great that, that these people are hunting because, it, you know, it's more it's more stamps sold, it's more licenses sold and all that. But, but sometimes those expectations are a little bit harder to fill if you haven't been in the game very long. That's true, too. But but it's, it's it's so funny because you talk to these guys at dinner time and they're like, oh, yeah, I hunt all the time and blah, 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 I do it on my own. And you're like, oh, yeah, how's your season been? Well, it's been rough. Oh, okay, well, you know, we're we're, we're pretty well hunting, you know, about the same birds. They're, they're definitely the same educated birds, but I, I don't know. Clients, they're, they're finicky sometimes for sure. Yep, and then you get the, the ones that, I mean, you have you have a tough day, and they couldn't be more appreciative. I mean, it's and that's you know when you've been doing it as long as you guys have. I'm sure you guys are have got excellent clients now, and, and we have the same. I mean, we're we're blessed. I mean, we, we get probably I don't know eighty percent of the people in Huntley just come back and help us every year. Yeah, they they become very good friends. So you're talking with in the off season. They're they're texting at two o'clock in the morning. Hey, that. That sale just missed you, or that too much rain for what you got planted. You know, they almost like to have a vested interest in it. I mean, it's awesome. Do you feel a lot of pressure every day that you go out hunting? Because I mean, you're this you're this icon in the waterfowl industry, and I mean, the expectations I, I, I assume in the blind are just phenomenal, and I mean, probably unrealistic. But here you are, you're this iconic yes. waterfowl hunter, and I wonder if new guys kind of understand that even, you know, Tony Vandemore can still have a tough day. Oh, I think so, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're, I mean, we can usually tell, you know, just because you're out there every day, you know what birds are doing and, and where they're doing it and what times, and, and just by looking at the weather, you can kind of tell the next day if it's going to be a bang-up one or we're going to, we're going to have to work for it or, you know, it, it's going to be, who knows what's going to happen. It's going to be hit or miss. Um, I think it's just, you know, communicating that before the hunt and, and keeping, uh, what I always try to do is just, you know, to me, the pulling the trigger is the, the least, the least, most, you know, the least important thing in the whole experience. I mean, absolutely. You can't, you can't be out there and that's why I'm having coffee and donuts and food and laughing and joking with your buddies and watching a dog, watching ducks, just watching the sunrise. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether whether you're paying for it or not, you can't have fun, can't have fun doing it when they're not fine. You don't deserve to do it when they are. Right. Yeah. But I just wondered how, how you feel, you know, I wondered if you just feel an enormous amount of pressure each day that you go out, especially with like new clients. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely so. I definitely, you know, it, there's there's days when, when I know it's going to be tough, you know, like pouring down rain and you're going snow, you, start, you know it's going to be tough. And, mm-hmm. man, it, it's stressful because it, at the end of the day, and this is what, what I tell people, I mean, I'm not out here to myself and my guide and whatever. I mean, we're not, it's not out here to waste our time. I mean, at the end of the day, sure, we're making a living doing it, but but it's about way more than the money. I mean, if, if we didn't think we were in a good place and had the best chance to succeed, it's not worth taking so much money to go sit out there. Right. Uh, there's definitely a lot of pressure um, making sure that the things you can control better be good. I mean, quality equipment, quality location, good food, uh, good accommodation. Those are things you can control. You can't control a wild bird. You can't control Mother Nature. And you can hit a, just like last year, you hit a 60-degree warm-up the end of December coming off of a, on a full moon. I mean, it's going to be tough for a few days. I guarantee it anywhere. Yeah, 100%. Are there are there times where you wish that you didn't, that you weren't the most famous waterfowl hunter in America? 
Now you look like you're a pretty stout guy. Do you still work out? Are you still in in, in baseball shape? What do you do in the off season? No, man. I feed back from working on the farm, which is probably probably better than anything. You got the farming muscles, is what you got then. I'm afraid if I tried to throw a baseball and swing a bat right now, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for a week. <laughs> Are you a Royals fan? Not really. I grew up a White Sox fan. My grandfather, he played like one year in, in class D for the White Sox. And uh, I've always grown up a White Sox fan. But now I watch some St. Louis, so we probably watch Cardinal more than anything. Well, I'm going to tell you, the White Sox have been a it's been a hard fan base the last, what, 30 years? <laughs> I'm a Notre Dame fan, too. I know all about it. <laughs> oh, I love I love Notre Dame, I'm telling you. And what a great history. And about every four years, yeah. they, they get us all excited again. But, man, I tell you what, that's not a fair – they're an unfair deal because the school sets a standard so high for their athletes. And it, it, yeah. it kills yeah. them in the recruiting game of getting the, the kids in Alabama a lot of times are getting – yeah, I mean, there's some incredible programs out there, but, you know, be a, be a true fan, you gotta, got to stick with it to the good and the bad. What about the – That's what I like things to do in the fall. Go duck hunt in the morning, come back, watch another Dame football game in the afternoon. I mean, what, what is better than that time of year right there? I mean, oh. great weather, college football. I don't care about NFL or Major League Bay. I don't watch any of that. I will not hardly miss college football. It, it, September and October is a magical time. I mean, it really is because everything's ramping up. Uh, we've got dove hunts here. We've got teal hunts here. And then, like you said, Saturday, you do a teal hunt, and then you come in and football's on all day. I mean, September and October, I love. November, I'm too busy. To, I can't watch. I don't get to watch a whole lot of football in November and December. But September, I love get back to live and they got like three different games going and oh. people all over the place and everybody's screaming and yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And then and then uh Saturday night here is always grill night. So you got guys by the Ooh, yeah. you got guys by the fire and then of course there's always uh somebody's always a loser out here. Mostly a lot of times it's yeah. a lot of times it's the Texas A and M Aggies, so they're always easy to, to rile up. Do you hunt a lot of coon asses from Louisiana? What's that? Do you hunt a bunch of coon asses from Louisiana, southern Louisiana? Oh, yeah. We get we get some. There I ain't. love having them. I'll tell you what. Outside of the the, the obnoxious OS Houston, I've never met anybody <laughs> from Louisiana that wasn't an absolute unbelievable cook. Oh, they God, they can cook. There's seafood. They're basically kicking the girls out of the kitchen saying, boys, watch this. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are, they're, they're the most... I don't even the word I look for it, but they love life. They cook. They like hunting. They're outdoorsmen. They're in a happier person in the world than people that live south of I-10 down there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool place. I mean, they they got just fishing, seafood, and everything. They got a pretty good deal down there. But they don't eat anything out there or from. That that LSU crap, they can do away with a little bit of it because it it's a little over the top, Louisiana. Do what? They're, they're go tigers and stuff. They get Andy, a little. They get a little annoying. That's because you went to Texas Tech. Y'all don't ever have nothing to cheer for football wise. Well, hey, we're playing right now. <laughs> we're playing in the College World Series right now. It's not football. Oh. I've told you. Oh. It's a well, different deal, Tony. Before Jeff really aggravates me, we're going to let you go. <laughs> I know you've got a lot of stuff going on, and you don't want to hear our hear our squabbling. So. Uh, how? When are you thinking? How many days out do you need of dry weather before you can start uh, tending to the fields again? We got some rain coming this weekend. I mean, if we just stand this one, I think middle of next week, I'd, I'd be in the game in, in some areas. Uh, I mean, it's, like I said, I mean, we've been any any little thing that's popped up is pretty much centered us up. We just haven't missed one yet. Yeah. We, just, we need to miss a couple. 
So on, on these on these these cornfields, how many rows will you cut, and how many will you leave? Typically, typically, what I like to do is, is plant my corn in strips, and then and then use beans in between ah. um, because of your bugs. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you, your 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 bean water is going to show good, clean water, easy for dogs, easy to walk through. Whereas your corn, the corn stuff. If I do leave, you know, if I do it all corn and just cut strips in it, I'm usually trying to bring a brush on in there, not stock down, just to make it easier for dogs, easier for walking. But more importantly, your your bugs and invertebrates are going to do better in horizontal cover than they are vertical cover. So like bean fodder or you know, brush hog, post harvest cornfield. Um, just the more of that flat cover you can get, better off the bugs and invertebrates are going to be. Now, how yeah, how long will the bugs be in there for? Do they stay in there all season, or once the first uh, when it freezes, are they gone? Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, the first two three weeks of the season, I mean, those ducks just going to be jammed full of bugs and blood worms and just little invertebrates. And once it gets cold, they they need something that a little bit higher carbs, so whether you're, you know, you're down south, they're eating rice, or up here, they're eating corn, uh, beans, you know, at dry fields. But bugs are the thing for early. Yep, yep, and then also back, you know, on the way back north, I mean, there's there's still plenty of them invertebrates and stuff blooming again and, and coming back, and, that, and that's what they're eating, eating a lot on their return trips back north, you know, peeling up to hit the prairies. Yeah, what uh, you've got a video series coming out too soon, don't you? Yeah, we do. It's coming out, I think, seventeenth of July. Um, it's called Glory Days. It's just kind of a kind of a look at, look at our guys. I mean, there's some some good hunting stuff in there, but a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And you guys know what it takes to to run a business, but not everybody knows what it actually takes. I mean, the scouting, the work. Uh, it's never ended. I mean, your your day. It's not like yeah, yeah. You know, we're you know, three, four of us buddies. We're gonna go hunting that slow. We're coming in nine o'clock, and we're gonna watch some football and have snacks and mess around. And next tomorrow morning, we'll we'll go hit it again. We'll go back to the same spot. I mean, you're out there working and filling up pumps and changing oil and running ice heaters and scouting. And your, your day's never ending. And it's nice to see. To have folks be able to see the, the behind-the-scenes part of what it takes to, when they have a good, very good hunt, what what does it take to get there? Yeah. Hopefully this video will shed some light on what it uh, what it all actually entails. How many, how long did they film for? Um, it was basically just last fall, um, you know, a little bit last summer and, and kind of leading up leading up to the fall, mm-hmm. but it'll be based around six episodes from, from last year during duck season and so, so you, you know, the summer, summer leading up to it. You had a film crew with you basically from summer from the summer months all the way through this last hunting season then? Yep, yep. We had had some guys out here, and it was actually pretty fun to be able to, be able to do. I mean, it's, and it's, not, it's not about me. I mean, it, it's, it's our guys. It's our team, which is... Um, really cool because these guys are these guys are priceless to me. I'm sure you guys got your your great guys as well, and it's what they do for you. It's great to put them out there and then show the work show the work that they're doing. Yeah. Well, hopefully this hopefully this video series is a big hit. What's it's just gonna it's gonna be on YouTube, social media. Where can people find it? Enjoy. Yeah, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be on Facebook and YouTube. Um, I'm sure we'll have a couple more teasers coming out. But I really hope people people kind of like what they what they see on the off season work. I mean, it's not about whatever. I mean, not about short stopping ducks or doing this or baiting fields or whatever. I mean, it's it's about being able to to live your duck hunting passion three hundred sixty five days a year. I mean, really, I mean, that's why I'm not selling insurance anymore because I love I love ducks and duck hunting. I like the off season just as much as I like like the season itself. I mean, I like sitting on tractors and daylight dark or riding levees on a ranger, whether it's, you know, heck, I like sandbags. I mean, it's just, it's all leading up to your, your favorite time of year, which is duck season. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, I guess we're pretty spoiled to be able to be able to enjoy the other 10 months of the year just as much as 
if you enjoy the two months you can kill them. Well, and it's about making those couple of months the best that they can possibly be for you. For you, it's your passion. Duck hunting is your passion, yeah, and if you've got an opportunity to make it the best that it could possibly be, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that's not trying to trying to help them help themselves have a more successful season, whether it's scouting or going and talking to landowners this time of year or, or going and looking at the public areas and, and seeing where the food sources are and, and how different blinds are at and exploring new opportunities. I mean, we all want the same thing. We want to have better duck season. Yep. That's all there is to it. That's right. That's right. Well, Tony, I really appreciate your time. I will let you uh, let you hop off of here and maybe go grab you a dinner. We appreciate you coming on again, and uh, you're always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you guys. I enjoyed it. I'm happy to talk to you guys anytime. One of these days we need to get the blinds. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Tony, I appreciate it. Four or five hours. Easily. Yeah. I I appreciate it so much. (laughs) God bless you and your family. Uh, Keep on, keep on doing, bud. I appreciate it. Have a great summer, fellas. Thank you. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. The great Tony Vandemore. Boy, he does a good job. Yeah, he does. A lot of things going on. Good positive attitude. Uh, ready for hunting season, just like everybody else is. Yep. Odds are, uh, you know, they are what they are and making the best of them every day. You know, it's, what's really cool about this is we talk to a guy, we, we, do, we do our podcast, sometimes we do two or three days in a row, but we put them out at different times. But we done a t- one earlier today, and we talked to a guy that's just a regular guy that hunts. And then you talk to Tony Vandemore, who's probably got the greatest setup in the country or the world. And that's just, that's really cool about how the podcast is working with us, you know. Talk to people from every walk of life. That's right. So that's it for us. Um, we will be out of pocket all next week. I'll be able to. You just email and stuff. They call. I'll yeah, still no, 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 no. We'll have podcast out. We'll have a couple podcasts out next week, though, also. And um, that's it, I guess, right? All right. Thanks again to Tony Vandemore, and uh, have a good one.